0: Check test one two. Albert King, BB King, Freddie King. (laughs) How you doing? My name is Arthur Nielsen, and you are listening to Talking Blues.
1: Yesterday you were telling me that you were rehearsing. What were you rehearsing? What can I ask?
0: Sure. Um, well, I do. My main gig is with Shamika Copeland. I've been with her for twenty-one years. But being a New York musician, I get called a lot of times to sub for people or just do a gig here and there. And uh, actually, I'm playing a. Um, I forgot what rehearsal that was because I had two of them this week. <laughs> There's a couple guys. There's a guy named uh, Dick Michaels who's uh, owns a Rogue Music Store in in the city. Okay. He's been a music. He's had a music store on 30th Street for as long as I can remember, and he's a piano player, a writer, and he does gigs occasionally around the village. So once every couple months, he calls me for a gig, and I rehearse and learn his tunes and, and play out. Also, was going to a rehearsal for a band called. Uh, patsy hank love Child, patsy klein hank williams and it's 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 a couple of musicians that um love patsy klein and hank william as i do i'm a total lover of country music and uh, they have a gig coming up actually tomorrow night uh and so i'll be playing with them so i rehearsed a bunch of old george jones patsy klein hank williams you know all that
1: does that come stuff. easy to you
0: yeah. yeah yeah because it's what i love i mean i i I grew up listening to rock and roll as a kid, you know, but the minute I heard Albert King, I was bit. you know, I mean, that was it. I remember I was in high school and I was listening to FM radio had just become a a big thing where they started having FM radio stations in New York City. And I remember listening to Roscoe, he was the DJ, and he would play all kinds of different stuff at night. And one night he played Albert King, Live Wire, Blues Power. Oh, yeah. And oh my God, I didn't. My body was covered in goosebumps. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was How just like, old were you? I was probably fifteen or sixteen. I started playing when I was fifteen, so sixteen I was maybe. It was shortly after I started playing.
1: Can I ask what made you start playing?
0: Um, I was in love with the guitar from from probably from the day I was born. I, I just I saw a guitar and I just wanted it. You know, what I mean, my uncle had a guitar up in his closet on the upstairs at my grandmother's house. My uncle lived with my grandmother. And if we would visit, I would always go up to his room and sit on his bed and just hope that maybe he would come up and open his closet and show me his guitar. I I don't know why he would do that, but I was just figuring if I sit here, maybe he'll ask me what I'm doing here and I could say something, but... And occasionally I would see it, you know, and um, my cousin had a guitar, and I think when I was four years old, I stayed with my grandmother for a week, and she took me up to a toy store and told me I could have anything I wanted, and I pointed to a uh, a little plastic guitar that I'd seen hanging there, and, and she bought it for me, and it was you know, one of those little toy things, you yeah. know, and then a year later, I spent another week with her in the summer, and she took me to the same store and said I could have a toy if I wanted, and I pointed to the guitar again. <laughs> and she said, I bought you one last year. I said, I know, but it broke. I don't need another one. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as I know, it's it was like something I was just born with. I just was in love with the guitar. I mean, my mom would watch the Lawrence Woke show, and right. I would just watch uh Buddy Merrill, who was the guitar player. He was playing a jazz master or a Stratocaster, and I was like, that's that's so cool. That's what, I mean, this is before the Beatles even, you know right. what I mean, and all that. And then when the Beatles and Stones came out, I was like totally hooked, and Uh, but my parents were kind of not behind me getting a guitar. They thought it would be a fad, you know, and you have to finish school, and they're they're right, you know. And uh, finally, when I was 15, I got a guitar for for Christmas, and I started playing, and the rest is history. So So
1: tell me about that. Tell me about getting that first guitar and how you approached learning
0: it. Well, I was excited out of my brain and i would just put it on and stand in front of the mirror and look at myself with a guitar i just couldn't believe it you know what i mean it was an electric guitar too it was just so
1: when you did that who were you in the mirror
0: i don't think i was anybody i just just having a guitar in my hand and seeing myself with a guitar i still get that way if i see myself (laughs) on a video or i look at myself in the mirror when i'm playing i'm like wow i play guitar it's just it's a thrill for me to play guitar i mean i just Love everything about it. If you ask anybody about me, I'm a guitar geek. I know everything about <laughs> guitars, and i just fascinated by it.
1: Did it come easy to you?
0: Well, I didn't think it did, but when I think back, um, basically, when, here's the funny thing, when I got it, I didn't really i didn't take lessons or anything and i didn't know what to do with it i learned a few little licks i learned how to play bah, 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 satisfaction i learned how to play peter Gunn because these are all the little things you could do on one string right. and finally my father said to me after a couple of months he said you know he bought you that guitar you better learn how to play it or something like that he was very strict with me and and uh so i got a uh just a book with with a, like a g- guitar chord dictionary And it had just a bunch of basic cowboy chords, you know, open chords. And I learned how to play all those. And then I was lucky because a guy that I went to school with in high school, his father worked for a publishing company. And they would make all these books with all the songs of the pop hits of the day. And if the book was printed upside down or something was wrong with it, they couldn't sell it. So he would get all these books that they were going to just throw away. And he would give them to me. And it had all these chord charts and, you know, songs with Beatles songs, the birds, whatever, you know, and I would just learn how to play all these songs. And, just
1: upside down. Uh,
0: well, some of them, it was readable. It was <laughs> right, just like right. the cover might have been upside down or something was misprinted. But basically, you could read the read the chords. The other thing I used to do is I would go to the, um, there was a department store in my neighborhood and my older sister, and I would go down to the store and I would take a piece of paper and pen and give it to my sister and I would open up like a, a book with like Rolling Stone songs in it. And, and I would just read off the chords to her. I'd just go G, C, A minor, D minor, E. And I didn't know like how, you know, how many bars. I just knew that these were the chords of, of, of a song, you know. And then I would go home and try to figure out how to play that song from the, the chords that I wrote down on a piece of paper. <laughs> and then after a while, I just started listening, you know. My ears started getting better. And uh, But I was in a band. I mean, I started playing when I was 15. I think I was in a band by the time I was 17 and playing high school Battle of the band kind of
1: thing. Mainly know. rock music?
0: Mainly rock music, yeah. But by then I was already into blues because I had heard Albert King, I was really into Chuck Berry, Albert King, BB. I heard BB King, Albert King, Freddie King, all those guys. And then I just I was totally taken in and but I lived in Queens and totally white neighborhood where everybody just wanted to play top forty music. Right. And I kept saying, We gotta play some blues, we gotta play some blues and and nobody wanted to play blues. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm curious at that age and in that environment mm-hmm. What blues meant to you, other than just the music that you heard? It like, was, did did you know the history? And I didn't
0: know all the history at that time, you know. What I mean, but I, but it was like a a doorway or a window into a whole another world. I mean, when I started hearing it, and then what what happened was when I then I went into college in 1970, and luckily somebody had, they had a music library where you could go in and had little index cards. You go into the drawer yeah, and pull yeah. out an index card and you could pick out an index card and give it to the guy at the desk and he'd give you the album. And then you'd go sit in a little booth and put right. headphones on and listen to it. Luckily somebody donated their whole blues connect collection. So when I found this out, I was in heaven. I just, I listened to Robert Johnson, Sunhouse, Muddy Waters, you name it. You know, everybody, all span, all these guys that were just players. And I, just totally fell in love with all that so that was a real education for me and I just kept digging deeper and deeper and then I would I would buy my blues records they wouldn't you couldn't buy blues records in, in where I lived right. middle Village Queens it was a very white you know neighborhood and straight and all that you know so I would go to the black neighborhood and down Jamaica Avenue or take a bus 15 20 minute ride down to Jamaica avenue and there were shops in there where they had jazz records and blues records and I'd just go downstairs and just bins of blues records and sometimes I didn't even know what I was buying I just saw something I said wow this guy looks cool and I buy it and take it home and listen to it and most of the time it was great you know and that's that's what I did I just kept digging deeper and deeper deeper just it was a music that just spoke to me more than anything else you know
1: when you took home a Robert Johnson or or even an oldest band record Mm -hmm. how did you approach that it was just listening or did you try to figure it out or
0: first I would just listen but uh, um in my bedroom, I had a record player and my little amplifier and my guitars. And, and you know, I would listen. Back then, you listen a lot with headphones, you know, yeah. not the big headphones, you know, you have these big things. So I'd lay in bed and listen to these records and, and listen to them. But then I would, you know, sit down with my guitar and try to figure out what they were doing. And, and especially guys like B.B. King. I was a big Mike Bloomfield fan because he was like in that same school. There's that school, B.B. King, Otis Rush. Mike Bloomfield, all those guys kind of had that kind of what I call like uptown blues, and that really appealed to me. That sweet kind of melodic kind of blues, you know, as well as you know the down in the gutter stuff. But I really like that that melodic, sweet kind of stuff. So I I would just sit down and you know the way everybody did, put a needle on, put the needle on the record, play a lick, slow it down. You know, if you had a thirty three and a third record, you slow it down to sixteen or something like that, and try to to figure out stuff and. And I basically just taught myself, I didn't know how to read, I still don't know how to read music, but I understand music theory, and a lot. I've taught myself a lot of things, but basically it was it was just taking it in and trying to, you know, get it into my head, and, and what they were doing, and how they were doing it, and why they were doing it, and, and not just, it wasn't just the notes, it was trying to feel something from it because that's what it was about it wasn't just playing a song like a pop song it was like emotion you know what i mean
1: so did that come easily because emotions tough
0: (laughs) yeah um you know that's there are nights when you play you just feel like you're going through the motions without emotion and there are nights when something just hits and all of a sudden you're playing and you are less you feel something and that's that's kind of hit or miss you know You, you try to play for real i mean when i play my wife always says I was in the audience you didn't even see me I'm like no because when I play I'm buried into my head I just I don't even look if we could be playing a, a stadium with 5,000 people in it, I don't really look out at 5,000 people I'm looking at my I'm in my head or I'm looking at who I'm playing with or something and and I just try to like get in that moment you know what I mean and just play play for real you know what I mean
1: Is that an easy thing to do?
0: I don't know I hope it comes across I mean it's you know there like I said, some nights you you just play better than other nights, some nights you you hit that mark you know, and you go like,
1: whoa,
0: I felt great, you know um I just feel like it's it's the only thing I know how to do really, you know, and uh, well, you've been doing it for a while, yeah, so I have, you do it well I have, I have been doing it for a while so um
1: so can I ask you what sure. when when you were learning or taking home these albums mm-hmm. did there must have been a number of revelations, a number of times when you put something on and thought, wow, yeah. I need to learn that. Yeah. Was there any key moments that you could share with me that any albums or any songs that you put the needle down and thought, wow?
0: Probably a lot of them. <laughs> uh, Robert Johnson was was a real eye-opener because at the, up until that point, I was listening to like the electric blues, you know, B.B. King and Alba King, which Alba King just still moved. That record... Blues, that song, Blues Power. I could listen to that till the day I die. If you know, what I mean, it just and still, I cry when I hear that song because it's so. It gets me so emotional.
1: Can you play it? Oh no,
0: I try to play like Albert King, but nobody plays like Albert King. Well, maybe Chris Kane, but uh, I mean. <laughs> did you ever hear his version?
1: Of um, Blues no, Power? I haven't, but I know how great Chris Kane is. He is amazing.
0: He, he is totally amazing, and he this it's on YouTube, I think, where he does a version of Blues Power. Almost note for note, and normally I don't like when somebody does something note for note because that's not. Yeah,
1: yeah. But he
0: plays it so well and with so much feeling and so much emotion, it's it's almost as good as the, as the original version. But when I would hear somebody like Robert Johnson for the first time, that was like a whole new. When I mean, when I first heard him, I was kind of like, "What? What is he doing?" Yeah. It was so, and so that opened up a whole new thing of like, well. That's completely different than B.B. King or Alba King, mm-hmm. you know. So that made me sit down and, and, and work more of the acoustic and work with slide and um, and just get into more of that, you know, that delta kind of thing and just try to expand, you know.
1: So when you went to university mm-hmm. and took out all these blues albums, what were you going to university for? What were you hoping to I, do?
0: I was taking up space. <laughs> uh, I, no had plans. No, I had no ambitions to be anything but a guitar player. And, and what
1: point did you know that you wanted to be a guitar when I dro-
0: player? When I, got, when I dropped out of college. Uh, I went to college for about two years, and I was not um, doing anything. I was just taking this course, that course. And then I went to see a, 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 like a guidance counselor, and he said, well, what's your interest? I said, I want to be a musician. And he tried to talk me out of it. He said, well, you know, they don't make any money, and they'll probably be you know, popular or work for a few years, and then they'll be lost, you know. And I said, well, that's okay, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you join the music program? And I think I had, I had missed the uh, deadline of when I could join up for, like, a music program in, in school. And by then, I, I, I think I had just dropped out, and I started playing in bands. And
1: Were you playing in bands before or not? Yeah,
0: but mostly just kind of local bands, you mm-hmm. know, playing top 40 stuff. And then if I got together with friends in my basement or wherever, I would, show them like a lot of blues tunes and try to get my friends into playing blues and saying, you know, this is how this goes. Listen to this record. And and I convinced a lot of guys that there was something there, you know, but the gigs, you know, back then there weren't, you know, in New York City, even, I mean, it wasn't until it really, I think what, what brought it all around was, was, the Blues Brothers movie right. that made the whole resurgence, and then everybody wanted to wear black sunglasses and look like you know the guys from the Blues Brothers, and then all these blues clubs started opening, and then all of a sudden it became very hip to do. You know, wow. but before that it was, there were just a few little places. There were, I remember back in the seventies, there was. Uh, there was like maybe two or three blues bands in the whole city, and there were like one or two little places you could play, and there were just little hole-in-the-wall kind of places. Now,
1: would you have seen these blues bands? Excuse me? Would you have seen them?
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I would play at those, I would do those gigs, yeah. Um, so it was um, it was really a, a small market back then, so it was nowhere to really play until late 70s, 80s, and then, then all of a sudden it kind of came hip, you know what I mean?
1: So that must've been great for you.
0: Yeah, back then I was working in. Um, I mean, I was still working in other bands, you know. And um, but what was great about it was that there was a club called Dan Lynch's. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It was it was a little blues bar, really funky little place. Um, it stunk like cat piss because I think they had cats <laughs> down in the basement, and it was just a you know regular neighborhood bar. But it turned into this amazing blues club. And they would have blues bands seven nights a week, and I would play with about four or five different bands, sometimes two or three times a week at this club. And if I wasn't playing, I would go down and hang out, and then sometimes sit in with whoever was there, you know. And it was just a a great place to to see bands play, and it was mostly local things, you know. But occasionally, if somebody was in town, you know, they'd come and sit in or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So that was a real learning experience because there were a lot of blues bands here. Um, so and I, I, then there was like Manny's car wash and tramps and a lot of places opened up where they, they had blues right. and you know.
1: But I wonder when, when your guidance counselor tells you there's no future in this right. and you're not really sure what kind of future there is. Right. How do you approach that? Like do you care? You just is it just a matter of playing well,
0: and- I guess um just thick headed and stubborn. I just all I wanted to do was play guitar, and that's all I really wanted to do. I mean, you look around my house, it's filled with guitars and basses and but,
1: but did you think?
0: Well, I just thought like, well, if I I won't get married, I won't have kids. I'll just be me. You know what I mean? And then if nothing happens, it's just me. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not. You know what I mean? And, so you actually
1: went thought that way.
0: Oh, that's how I thought. Yeah. Okay. But then I met my wife, and she was you know on board with me. You know what I mean? And and we both were musicians at the time. You oh. know, and so, um, so it was kind of like whatever happens happens as long as i'm playing you know and i you know i read an article an uh, interview with elvin bishop in guitar player magazine when i was first learning how to play back in the early 70s and um he said if you stick with it long enough it'll happen and i believe that right so.
1: but I, I wonder what your idea of success was back then was it just doing it or think, did you have ideas that maybe this would grow into something big? And-
0: um, I don't think I ever had ideas that I would. If you would have told my young self what I've done today or who I've played with or how well I can play or whatever, you know, because I can't believe if I was 15 and, and listened to myself now or saw what I've done or where I've been or who I've played with, I don't think I would have ever believed it. Right. No way. I would have just, you know. You know, growing up in Queens and it was a working class society, you know, my dad dropped out of school so he could work, you know, and he worked and he wanted me to go to college and have a better life. And I guess I just thought, well, by the time I'm 20 something, I'll have a day job and that'll be the end of my life. I didn't. So all I want to do is play so that I would at least have that. And and I've had that. (laughs) I've been playing. You never had to do. Pretty much my whole life. I've had little jobs here and there, but I haven't had a real job in, you know, day job in Twenty-five years or something. Wow. 30, years, Thirty. I think the last job I had was in '92, and, and it was just part-time working in a bookstore, and I was able to still keep my gig schedule up. And
1: Did you ever? I always ask this, but did you ever question playing music? No. I mean like, should I keep doing it? Yeah. Or yeah. Never. Or well, why am I doing this?
0: Never. Because I would do it. You know what? I always say I would do it even if even if i didn't become successful enough to make a living at it which i am happy i can do that now um i think if, and if i was working that 9 to 5 job i would still be playing guitar as much as i am now i don't think i would ever have given it up it's it's like my it's just all
1: i do <laughs> so and and through this journey you've played with a lot of different people mm-hmm. and I, I i would presume that there were times when things might have looked really hopeful and, mm-hmm. and other times when they weren't yeah tell me about the hopeful moments
0: um well the hopeful moment was was playing with Jamaica at first because uh that was and but it turned out to be good i mean yeah, yeah. Uh, i was playing uh i also played bass and i was playing bass at a, a jam up at manny's car wash which was a club had a lot of blues acts up there and she came in and um they said she was 18 years old. She's Johnny Copeland's daughter. And I was like, sure, whatever, you know. And then she got on stage and she was like dressed up with high heels and a beautiful red dress, skirt, whatever, and hair and nails. And, and she got on stage. She goes, B flat, shuffle, watch me for the stop. Boom. And I was like singing and playing. I'm like, wow. So there was like a real hopeful moment there. of like, this girl is something else. And then I heard she was looking for musicians. She had just put out a record and she wanted to go on the road. And I'm like, so that was like a moment where like, hey, here's my number. I play guitar. I play bass. You know, I'd love to play with you, you know. And it turned out that I got the gig, and I've had it for 20, almost 21 years. This month will be 21 years I've been playing with it. We've traveled. We've played all 50 states. We've played all through Europe and Eastern Europe, and we've been to Australia. We've been to India. We've been to Brazil and
1: But you knew the Canada. moment you saw her. Excuse me? You knew the moment you saw her.
0: The moment she opened her mouth and started singing, you know, because what happened a lot of times with jams is, you know, somebody's daughter is going to come up. So-and-so's famous daughter is going to come up. And they're usually not quite as good as the famous father, you know what I mean? So I was jaded, and I was like, sure, whatever. She's going to come up and whatever. But as soon as she got on stage, I knew she – first of all, she was 18, and she was so professional, and she sounded amazing, and she knew how to, like, you know – call out a tune and tell us where the stops were and things like that which you know was like wow so yeah pretty much the minute I heard her sing I knew this was like and you know a lot of times I would get asked to join bands or or play on things projects where I didn't you know I like the people but when I heard their music I'd be like you know that's really not my thing you know I'm saying so thank you but no thank you but with her I was like that's my thing. Wow. <laughs> I can play that. I can play with her for sure, you know, and be myself, you know.
1: And obviously, she feels the same way.
0: Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs>
1: but the other interesting thing is, she's taking different turns. She's yes. not just blues. And well, that?
0: yeah. Well, I'm I'm not just blues either. Right. I mean, I, I've, I've you know, I grew up listening to a lot of other different types of music, and I love classical. My dad loved classical music, and it was in the house all the time. So I love classical music, and I think that's in my DNA, you know, so I loved uh, old, like, country. I don't really dig country music now, but the old Hank Williams and all that kind of stuff, Lefty Frizzell, and George, uh, George Jones is one of my favorite singers in the world, I love them, because that's, to me, that's almost like the same thing as blues, it's emotional, mm-hmm. soulful kind of music, and soul music, Otis Redding and O. V. Wright, all those kind of people, it's just, you know, that stuff is, to me, it's kind of all in the same category, it's soulful music, it's emotion, it's about What you feel, you know what I mean? Whereas like pop music and country music today and other stuff is is more about, you know, it's nice and I listen to it, you know, but um it's it's not my thing, you know, but so
1: how how tough is the New York scene, music scene? How's the music scene now? Well how tough has how tough Uh, is it to break into it and and to make a living out of it?
0: I'd say it's right now, it's probably pretty tough. I mean, I'm lucky because I've been around a long time and people know me, and I, um, so I get calls to, to do things, you know. But if I had to just survive on, you know, little gigs around town, I don't think I'd be able to do it. You know, I'd have to, you know, get something else or tour, you know what I mean? I mean, that's the beauty of it. I work with Shamika, and lately I've been working with Vanessa Collier. Are you familiar with her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing some gigs with her, and wow. she's amazing. And she's, so, um,
1: She's really up and coming.
0: Yes, she things is. are happening. She's yeah. definitely happening. Yeah. So, um, is it
1: hard to juggle the two? Like?
0: Wh- well, scheduling-wise, it's sometimes hard. Yeah, because it's hard to book things in advance. Yeah. I have my own band as well, but it's always really hard. People say, When are you going to play out? When are you going to play out? It's really hard. you can't call a club and say, Can I book something three months from now? Because three months from now, she may get, may get a gig, and then I have to call the club back and say, I'm sorry, right. I have to do this gig because that's my first call. You know. So yeah, it is difficult, but it, lots of times um sometimes things happen where like oh my guitar player's sick and can't do it or whatever can you do a gig next week or you know or s- scheduling you know so you just work it out and try to fit everything in
1: so how how active are you promoting your
0: own career not very active okay. <laughs> i'm not i'm not a uh that's just not my thing i guess I, you know i should be and everybody goes oh you should do this you should do that but
1: Um, because you've released a number of albums
0: I've had three albums out yeah yeah three records out and uh, I should put another one out because I have a lot of material that I haven't recorded yet but um, um, it's not that I'm lazy but I guess maybe um, I don't know I don't push myself that way I I kind of I'm always working on the guitar but the business part of it never um, I've been lucky because a lot of people usually get out there and have to network and push 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 and I've been very lucky that a lot of times people will call me and I'll be like, okay, great. You know, like, I mean, the Shamika thing just happened. That was great. You know, uh, Vanessa called me because she knew me through Shamika and through some other people, you know. I
1: find it I find it interesting, and I don't know if you find this, but oftentimes, I was actually talking to a composer last week, and he was talking about how when he puts out feelers or asks to work with people, they don't, that doesn't seem to happen as much as, just out of nowhere, a phone call would come in.
0: That's what happens to me a lot of times. Yeah. Out of nowhere, somebody just calls me up and says, Hey, I, you know, I'm going, well, I got a tour next week, or I got three dates, or I got, you know, this or that, and can you do them, you know? And yeah, I've been, you know, they always, there's this, I was born under a bad sign. I, I was kind of born under a good sign. I feel like I've
1: been blessed. Well, well I would presume, because we, you know, there's the other topic that we talk about, which is luck or talent but I don't I don't think one gets lucky if they don't have the talent right. Right? the opportunities yeah. don't come yeah. up yeah. So obviously
0: I think it's maybe like 50 percent talent and 50 percent um, that I'm not an asshole. <laughs> because there are a lot of musicians that are way more talented than me but they're difficult to work with yeah. and that goes a long way. It might even go more way longer than having talent. It might be like 40 percent talent, 60 percent personality because. To work with people on the road, travel in a van for seven, eight hours, or fly, you know, cross-country and then hotels and logistics and canceled flights and flat tires and accidents and whatever, all that stuff that goes along with it. I mean, the playing part of, of, of music is only an hour, an hour and a half at mm-hmm. night. And then the rest of the day is is traveling and getting to the gig, getting back from the gig, you know, whatever, and doing all that work, you know I mean, sound checks and all that. So... Your personality and how you work with other people is extremely important. And I think that, that might help. You know, I the, try to be...
1: Is that something able. you figured out? Or is that something that's just... It's you? the
0: way I was brought up, I think. My parents were really good people. And uh,
1: they brought me up right. If we if we go back to the idea of you putting out your own stuff, and you say you don't really promote yourself, but you you've done three albums thinking about another one, so what would be the reason for doing albums? Like well, how do you justify doing an album and, and what motivates you to do that? Well,
0: I write a lot of things and I guess I just want people to hear what I do, you know what I mean? Because I think people see me with Shaminka or they see me with Vanessa or they see me with whoever I'm playing with and they hear me doing their music, you know? And I have a lot of music of my own. So it's just a way, of, it's just an outlet for me to just say, hey, this is this is what I do. I, and this is what I write and this is... This is another side of me, you know what I mean? And just just feel like it needs to be out there, you
1: know what I mean? And what's, what would be the expectations out of that, of putting it out? Uh,
0: Maybe I'd get more calls <laughs> or something for more gigs, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just kind of something that, you know, sometimes it's like, you don't know why you do something, you just have to do it, you know?
1: But it's not like you're trying to establish your own career and tour on your own?
0: No. I, you know, I think, I don't know if I could, you know, handle that just being my own artist and yourself. I mean, I've done tours and stuff and uh, of my own. I've gone over to Europe a bunch, and because the label I was on was in Paris, Dixie Frog Records, right. and um, so I had a bunch of tours I would do over there. I haven't been over there in a while on my own, but um, I've done it. But it's it's a lot more responsibility when it's your thing yeah. and you're running the band and you're running the show. And I guess maybe I feel more comfortable being a side man in a way, you know. Although I like writing my own stuff and putting it out there, so that it it is out there and people can hear it, you know.
1: When you were that little kid thinking, "I want to do this for the rest of my life," to where you are today, like, how different is it, or how much the same is it from what you might have imagined it to be?
0: Oh, it's way different. Well, first of all, when when I first started playing. I was like one of these guys, I'm not doing it for the money, I'm doing it because I just want to play music, you know, that kind of thing, you know. (laughs) I was like, you know, rebellious, like, you know, I don't care about making money, I'm just going to play blues, you know, because everybody would tell me like, oh, you're not going to make any money playing blues, like, oh, fine, I'll just play blues and I won't make any money, I'll just do it because I love it, you know. But then it got to the point where I started working and, and touring with little bands and stuff and we would squeeze a blues tune into the set, you know, we'd do all these cover tunes and then I'd squeeze in a song I would sing in a blues tune or something and, um, I realized, wait a minute, I can make money and play music, and you know. And then I started getting calls for other things, and um, <clears throat> a change came over. In uh, at one point, I put an ad in the Village Voice, which is no longer around, but and I just said, blues guitarist looking to join a form band into, I guess I don't know why, Muddy Waters, Mike Bloomfield, BB uh, King, Albert King, or something like that. And then I got a call from a, a, uh, oh no. I answered an ad. I'm sorry. I answered an ad looking for a blues guitar player into uh, Mike Bloomfield, Bob Butterfield, B.B. King, whatever. And it was a guy named Felix Cabrera who's a harmonica player, a very good harmonica player. And I've been working with him for over 40 years. And I answered his ad and that was the first blues band I joined. And he was out in New Jersey and we actually started playing little clubs. And at that point, I realized, okay, there is other people out there and I can make a living at this. So when I was a kid thinking about it, I don't think I had any idea. I just kind of thought I'd go to school and then get a job and, you know, so I saw my dad working nine to five nonstop, you know, and then he'd get a week's vacation in the summer and take the family away and that kind of thing. And I guess I thought that's that's what's going to happen to me, you know what I mean? So I didn't really have any dreams of it, you know, although I just loved playing. But when I got to the point where I realized, okay, I think I can do this and I can make money, That at one point I said, I guess that's when I dropped out of college too and I realized now I'm going to try to do this. But still, even at that point, I never thought I'd have come as far as I've come that I am today that I still playing after all these years I mean I've known so many musician friends that you know no longer play anymore they just don't get gigs or they've given it up or they've lost interest and I have as much interest in playing as I did when I was seventeen years old it's never I kept thinking well, I guess when I get older I probably won't be into it so much but <laughs> I wake up and the first thing I do is. <laughs> Tell me about that
1: passion. Tell me, can you explain or articulate what that is?
0: I don't know. I just feel like I'm a kid with a toy, and my toy is a guitar, and I just love that toy. And it's it's more than a toy now. Obviously, it's it's an expression of of. I mean, I love the sound of a guitar. I love the sound of 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 blues. I love of it's the sound and the and I hear it and it just comforts me. You know, I mean, it's like.
1: And do you ever feel even close to figuring it out? Like is it, is it this endless journey of not being able to grasp it or, or, or is it just whatever you figure out, you just want more of it?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I guess I never really think about why I like it or it's just, it's just who I am. It's just part it's just on my, you know.
1: Now are you st- constantly working towards getting better? Yes. yes. And how do you do that?
0: uh i sit here with my laptop and i go through uh youtube videos and i i sometimes there's like little there's lots of lessons and things like that so if i see something that interests me something that i you know like well i don't know how to play that or i don't know that kind of style or something like um it, not so much with blues because blues i don't think you can learn stuff on, uh, from lessons like that but it's more techniques like uh, like i'm i love playing country chicken picking kind of style right. things like um, so if I hear, if I see some kind of lesson on some kind of string bending, chicken picking kind of thing, that's something, a technique that I'm not familiar with, then I'll try to work on that. Uh, or if there's some jazz tune, I don't know. I'm not a really a jazz player, but I, I enjoy playing some stuff. So there's some chord changes or I learn some new chords, something I didn't know or a different voicing or something. And sometimes not even a lesson. Sometimes I'm just watching somebody play or, or demoing a new instrument or a guitar or something because I'm a, I'm a gear geek. If there's a new guitar out by Gibson, I I Google it up and look at it and I watch the guy play. And then sometimes he might play something that's like, oh, what was that he just played? And then I'll sit down and figure out what he played. And then I might sit down and if I learn a new chord, all of a sudden I'll, I can write a song from that new chord that just inspires me to play so I'm So I'm always trying to... My iPhone has about 300 little voice memos of song ideas in there that I have to try to finish you know because i am always come up with ideas you know and I'll play something for my wife and I go you like that she goes record it record it you know and <laughs> she hands my phone to me and I record it so I now I have like 350 little snippets of pieces of you know melodies and chord changes that I have to is it mainly that or is it is it,
1: is it mainly chords and melodies, and or she, she
0: chords melodies sometimes lyrics yeah I sing, but I think my main instrument is 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 the guitar. So, and I write a lot of instrumental. I I write, you know, I mean, I write blues tunes as well. But and I also write like kind of like moody, like soundscape kind of pieces. People always say, "Oh, that sounds like it should be in a movie or something." So I've I've written a lot of things like that. Um, but I, when I write an instrumental, I don't try to write just something that I can jam on. You know what I mean? I try to write. I guess that goes a little bit back to my dad's classical music and hearing like composing and parts and stuff and melodies and things you know so when I write something it's it's usually more uh, melodic pieces you know from section a to section b and then there might be a little solo section in the middle but I'm not writing something that's here's a groove and I'm like it's all over for you know two minutes you know it's more of like a melody or something that people can hear and go like wow that's beautiful or, or that's catchy or something and and
1: your writing is it inspired just by life and you get ideas or are you inspired by the next album project or how does that happen what inspired by what was last thing Like how, how do you come up with these ideas they just come to you and by sitting with a guitar
0: and fiddling and playing and fiddling and playing and playing and playing and playing and trying to i'm always trying to learn something new on the guitar or a different position to play on the guitar or play something different. And occasionally, just by accident, you hit something that all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, that sounds good. And then I try to work on that and and develop it. Um, so it mostly comes from playing. I play a lot during the day. I mean, I my gigs are at night. I have students. So I teach it you know, as well a little bit. But my days are pretty free so if I'm not working on mature to learn for somebody's gig or something then I'm sitting with my guitar either acoustic or electric and just playing until something sounds interesting and then I'll try to develop it and and work on it that
1: way and then how do you decide to finish a song when you have have in my
0: bedroom I have a 12 track recording machine with a drum machine and everything and so if I get off my butt, I'll sit down and put the track down and start developing it. And then, and then I have a bunch of demos that I have in my computer, you know, which are, like I said, eventually they should get on a record of some kind, you know, but a, rec- a CD or whatever. So, but
1: Tell me about your relationship with Shamika. When, when you've been together for that long, mm-hmm. and I presume it's evolved quite a bit. Yes. But tell me about how it's evolved and, and you know, from the person who you thought, wow, she's pretty uh, good to... Well, Like I said,
0: I've known Shamika since I was eight, since she was 18. Um, So basically she was a kid, I mean, but a very grown-up kid. Her father Mm -hmm. had just passed away a year before, and I think she, in those last few years before he died, she grew up really fast, and she was running the whole show, but she was still young, you know what I mean? And now that she's, she turned 40 today, she's, over the years, she's become a very, um, she's a woman, a very mature, accomplished woman, and... So, our, our relationship has gone more from, you know, a younger person, older person meeting to like we're almost, even though we're quite a few different years of age, we're we're on, on much more equal ground now. And I, I feel like we have this closeness where when you're close with somebody, you don't always have to talk because it's understood. And right. I think we have that kind of understanding where she knows I'm there for her and, and she's been great to me for all these years, so...
1: Did it surprise you, and it's hard to measure success, but I imagine that she's in a pretty good place in in the blues world. Mm -hmm. Did it surprise you to the level that she's gotten to? And I know you said that she was was very talented, but that doesn't necessarily Um, equate to something happening. You
0: know what, it didn't really surprise me that much because um, right from the beginning, the response that she got from audiences, you kind of can tell... You know, if you go out and you, you know, I've been in lots of bands where you go out and you play and, uh, nice, you know, but that was never the case with Jamaica. I mean, we go out in the first gig we did, it was just like crowds went crazy, you know. I mean, so from from the beginning, you know, you had a few gigs where maybe it was a bar that nobody knew who she was or whatever and didn't really care, you know. But I would say nine-tenths of the gigs, they were always great gigs and people always were like... Blown away by her, and how could you not be? I mean, her voice was amazing. You know, I mean, it still is. You know, um, and it's matured. That's the thing, too. I mean, when I first met her, um, her voice—she was 18. You know, when she did that first record, and so her voice has just matured over the years, like a like a fine wine or a brandy or something. And it's just so strong and warm and so much more there than it was when she was young. And she was great when she was younger, but she's even better now. So it's it's been nice to watch her develop like that and just grow and uh but i i don't think it was surprised at all because everywhere we went people loved her and uh it was so
1: you also yeah. worked with cindy lomper
0: i worked with cindy lomper yeah that so was did
1: you know i mean this was before she broke out big yes yeah did you know that she would have that potential
0: um i think so um the first time i saw cindy uh, i was still living out in queens and i went to a little local bar And there was a a cover band playing there, and there was a a little blonde girl with little cut-off jeans and singing. She sounded like Stevie Nicks back then. She was singing some rock tune or Joplin or something like that. And I remember going home and telling my wife at the time, but she was my girlfriend at the time, I said, wow, I saw this singer tonight in a bar, and she was really good. She was, like, really good singing. She was good. And then, like, two years later... (laughs) They approached me at a gig one night, her and a couple of the guys from Blue Angel, which was the band we had, and asked me to join the band. And uh, the band got lots of critical acclaim. I was kind of surprised that that band actually didn't go further than it did, but it was one of those situations where we were signed by Polydor, and we were signed by the president and the vice president of the label, and then both those guys left the label. And what happens with that is then you become pushed to the back burner. Right. you know. And And then people saw the potential in Cindy... You know, I was like, oh, we could just grab her. And we kind of got to a point where the band, she wanted to um, go with this other label. And, and we were just all kind of like, it was falling apart. And we all just kind of decided, like, well, you go your way. And we'll just, you know. But I, of- it, it didn't surprise me that she went that big. Because she was determined. Yeah, very determined. And she was super talented. So, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What kind of music did Blue Angel play?
0: It was like rockabilly. Uh, okay. Retro. It was, it, the record was done in 1980 when that whole, you know, kind of retro rockabilly thing. Right. You know, Brian Setzer and the Straight Cats were big. And, and she um, she was, we did like stuff that was kind of like a cross between like the girl Ronek groups kind of thing and meets Chuck Berry and uh, kind of a rockabilly, you know, thing. And I was totally into that whole rock and roll rockabilly thing. I love Chuck Berry and that, the whole Roots right. thing, which kind of goes back to the blues again, you know.
1: So when you go through an experience like this, and you're at this point, you're relatively young, mm-hmm. and now you signed to a major label, mm-hmm. and the album is critically acclaimed and yeah. things are looking good, yeah. and then it just kind of falls apart. What does that teach you? Like, what lessons do you walk away with that? Uh, well, at the time, it didn't
0: teach me anything, but now that I look back on it, I realize that life goes on and you just keep doing what you're doing. But at that time. The band broke up. We lost our label. We lost our manager. Everything was falling apart. And I was pretty depressed. And I was about to turn 30. <laughs> so I thought, like, oh, my God, my life is over, you know? <laughs> oh, no, it's over. That's it. I'll never play in a band again. I'll never work. That was it. I had my one chance, whatever, you know?
1: I mean, did you really feel that way? That I did. I
0: felt yeah. that way at okay. that point, you know what I mean? I had, And then I had to get a day job for a while. and uh, But that's when I kind of went from... When I said, you know what? I'm just going to... St- that's when I kind of made a decision to kind of like go a little bit more straight towards blues and doing the roots blues kind of thing as opposed to trying to be in like a rock and roll band making it on a label kind of thing which was what Blue Angel was, you know. Um, and that's when I started playing. That's when all the blues clubs started opening as well and, you know, things started taking off. So there were lots of clubs in the city I could play at, lots of bands I could play with and, and things started taking off in that direction and That's and then I never looked back. So I think... Looking back on that, you know, even though I thought it was like the end of my life, oh, I'm turning 30 and I just lost my major labor deal and all that, I just went back to like, I'm just going to keep playing and, and do what I do and and then things turned out,
1: you know. Which and in is, a way,
0: I'm kind of glad they did because had that band taken off and became really big, I don't know where I'd be now, you know what I'm saying?
1: it would have been like what your guidance teachers said yeah yeah you know? no, like, exactly because right. it wouldn't have lasted yeah. that I mean, long. it wouldn't have lasted yeah. it would have been
0: a flash in the pan we would have been big for whatever and then you know then what oh he's that guy that has been you know whatever so instead of like going up there and jumping up and then falling down i feel like my my whole career has just been one slow slow uphill thing you know where i just keep playing and i just keep doing what i'm doing you
1: know but with a lot of highlights. Excuse me. A lot of highlights. Yes. Oh yeah. Like the Letterman show, I presume. was The Letterman.
0: Was, you want to know my biggest highlight? Hi. The uh, my birthday. Um, back in, I don't know what the year it was. My wife took me to see Les Paul, at um, the Iridium. Right. He was playing every Monday night, and my birthday was December eighteenth, which is the same day as Keith Richards. And uh, do you know John Paris? Yes. Guitar player. Okay. John and I are good friends, and um. I went to see Les Paul. We went out to dinner first, my wife and I, and had a few drinks, you know. And then we went to see Les Paul. We were at the late show. We're sitting at the front table right in front of the stage. And John Paris is sitting in with with Les Paul. And uh, he comes over to my table, John does, after the set or after he's finished playing. And he said, today's your birthday, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, same as Keith Richards. I said, yeah. (laughs) He goes, hey. He jumps back on the stage. He whispers something into Les Paul's ear. And all I hear, Les Paul say, yeah, bring him up. Bring him up. And I'm like, what? And, like, and then John calls, do you have a guitar? I said, I don't have a guitar. I came to see Les Paul. What are you talking about? And then he said, he doesn't have a guitar. Les Paul says, he can use mine. So Les Paul, they get me on stage. They introduce me as Shamika Copeland's guitar player. And uh, he hands me his Les Paul, which I don't know if you've ever seen that guitar. It's got like a million switches yeah, yeah. on it that he customized, you know. And he tells me, don't touch anything but that one knob there. I said, is that the volume knob? He said, yeah. I said, OK. And I get up there, and I, and I played like two songs with so the band. He's
1: not playing with you. You're no, playing. he's
0: not playing. I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to the bar and have a drink. So I didn't get to play with him, but I actually got to play Les Paul's Les Paul. And he came up, and it was extremely complimentary and wanted me to play a third song. And I said, look, Les, I appreciate it. I said, but people paid good money to come see you, not to see me. I said, I even got a sub. I had a gig that night and I said I got a sub so that I could come see you and so he was all excited and then uh, Lou Paulo, his other guitar player I knew him from before, previous he said to me afterwards he said stick around because after everyone leaves we could sit around and you can talk with Les so we did we waited till the end of the night and I sat and talked with Les Paul for about 45 minutes and it was just like you and I just sitting here talking back and forth and it was like one of the most amazing
1: experiences I've ever had it was like Probably the best birthday I ever had. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. So what's it like to play guitar, Les Paul's guitar, in front of him when you weren't <laughs> even expecting to do so, and now you're also doing well, it in front of a crowd? I was
0: extremely nervous, extremely nervous. Um, what did you play? We, well, John sang. John Parris was still up there. He was singing and playing harmonica. We played, uh, uh, it was Christmas time, so we did Run Run Rudolph, Chuck Berry kind of thing. But then we also did, um, what was the other one we did? Uh, I think we did Mystery Train, a rockabilly thing, which I did a lot of that chicken picking thing. And Les Paul has like a little pedal board in front of him. And he always liked a little bit of that slapback echo on his guitar, you know. So it worked perfectly for what I was doing. So I just, I was nervous, but I also had had a few drinks. (laughs) So I guess that helped me, you know, calm myself down and get through it. And I just, I probably had a smile on my face from ear to ear. And I just, um, I just remember walking out of the club that night, just, like I had to pinch myself. I couldn't believe what just said had happened. Like it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like a little kid, just you know, having the best day of my life. Kind of thing. That's and that's how I always feel. I still feel like I'm a little kid playing guitar, having the best day of my life. You know.
1: Was it after that moment where where things fell apart and you had to kind of reevaluate, but mm-hmm. decided that you would now pursue blues and for what it for what it is. But you've been pretty lucky and successful since then. Was there a moment, and successful being relative, but was there a moment where you thought, yeah, I've kind of made it?
0: I didn't ever think about the the make, when I was young, I used to think about the making it thing, you know. But what does making it mean? I don't really know what that means, you know I mean? I guess people think it means, you know, you get signed to a major label and then you're a star or whatever, you know, but that's not me that's not really what happened to me I just kept playing and I kept getting more gigs I got to the point where I didn't need a day job anymore I could make a living doing this and people were respected me for what I did and hired me for what I do and um, I was able to I, I I own a house I own a car um, you know I'm I'm not rich but I think I'm successful because I'm doing what I love to do
1: mm-hmm. and you've been doing it uh, yeah. all your life
0: oh yeah yeah so I, I that's why I say I'm blessed, because I know a lot of people that are not doing it or not making enough to make ends meet and had to, like, kind of stop and get a day job or do something. And, you know, I'm, I'm still doing what I did, you know, years ago, and I'm still doing it and still loving it, you know.
1: So I know that you play in various places. You mm-hmm. do Monday Night Jams. This weekend, you're going to be at Tampa Bay Blues Festival, Yes, right? yeah. And so you play in small clubs and large festivals. Mm-hmm. Does that ever make any difference to you? Does it matter? Not
0: really. No. It's, you know, that <clears throat> there's something nice about just playing a small club and, and being part of the crowd and just, you know. And I think that's also helped me because what happens a lot of times is when people start playing the big festivals and playing with bands and touring and stuff, nobody hires you anymore because they can't, call, oh, can't call him. He's on the road. You know right. what I mean? But the fact that I do local gigs, I play every Monday night at the Red Lion, and that same band plays every Wednesday night in uh, New Jersey, Jersey City, at a place called the FM Bar. They're local jams. They're local bands. That people get up, people meet me, people can talk to me, um, and then they say, "Hey, you know, do you, can you do a gig with me or something like that?" And I'm like, "Give me a call," you know, and I give them my number. So that way, I'm still in circulation, and people know. I'm not on the road all the time. I'm still around, you know. Yeah, I am on the road a lot of times, and if I can't do it, I can't do it. But, you know, well, I'm going in the studio next week and I need a guitar player. Can you can you play and I said, "Well, call me and I'll tell you if I'm available." So, I think that helps me stay, you know, in circulation as opposed to being like, "Oh, he's on tour, don't call him." You right. I mean? So, and and I like it cuz then you and I also get students that way. People hear me play. And they oh, do you teach? Yeah, I teach, you know what I mean? Because I don't advertise that I teach either. I don't, you know, a lot of people put up things or, you know, I'm not even on Facebook, so I'm, I'm just kind of a private guy. But people see me there at, at those jams or local gigs and, you know, come up and talk to me and...
1: Tell me what you get out of teaching. I mean, I, do, I expect that it's not just a fine You know what I got thing. out of
0: teaching the most? Yeah. I became a better guitar player. Because when you teach, right, um... You have to know what you're teaching. You have to know how what you're talking about. You can't just. I don't want to just go. Here's a blues riff. Play it. You know what I mean? I want to say this riff works because you're on this chord and these notes are part of this, and this is part of this, and this works because of this. You know. So I don't want to teach somebody. You know, my thing is you give them a fish. You give them food for one day. They eat for one day. You teach them how to fish. They can cook. You know, eat for the rest of their life. So it's like that's what I'm trying to do. It's like. What I try to do is teach them how to open up the fingerboard, understand not heavy theory, but enough of it so that you understand how music works so you can figure things out on your own. Because that's when I first started playing, I just learned by listening, copying things off the record. I didn't understand what I was doing. So when I started teaching, I had to understand what I was doing. So I read books, I looked online, videos, anything I could read, just to like kind of understand. And then I had to break things apart and figure out, why does that work? Why is this? Why is that? So by teaching, it, it taught me to be a better guitar player to understand what I was doing. Plus, when you see somebody learn something and feel good about it, that's mm-hmm. that's a great feeling. It doesn't always happen. A lot of times you get students who just come in, they come back the next week, they really haven't practiced, so they're the same old thing, you know. And, but if you have that student that comes in and is like dying to learn something and then you see them come back and want more, that's a great feeling, you know, that you've passed something along, you know what
1: I mean? Did you, you, you never took lessons yourself? No.
0: Well, I took lessons with a guy. I wanted, you know, I thought I was going to learn how to play jazz. It was like 25, 30 years ago, you know, and so I took lessons for about six months with a jazz guy, and he taught me a bunch of jazz chords and stuff, and and uh, I learned a few chords and a few things, but, it, you know, I, after, I lost interest a little bit, and I just kind of went back to teaching myself, because I really wasn't going to be a jazz guy. I thought, okay. I'll be a jazz guy now, you know, <laughs> which I'm not, you know what I mean? So, but it, it helped me like learn some new chord things and, and some, some, you know, opened up my head a little bit, you know.
1: So when you decided to teach, did that come easy to you?
0: At first it didn't. And the reason I never wanted to teach because I'm not formally trained. So I felt like I didn't have the right to teach. But it started where I, I went in a studio with a, with a guy and his, his, there was a band that wanted me to play on their demo. And so I played on their demo and it was kinda of like heavy rock and he didn't really dig the music, but they were friends and they asked me to do it and they paid me and I did it. And then after the demo was over, they said, We want you to join the band and I said, Well, to be honest, you know, I like you guys, but that's really not my music and I, I, I that's not my thing. And they go, Well, Can you teach me how to play how you play so I can do it then? And because there was another guitar player in the band, and I said, Well, I can teach you what I know. I can teach you what I do. Yeah, I can do that, you know. So he goes, Well, that's all I want to know. I want to know what you do. So I said, All right, I'll give it a shot. So that was the first time I started teaching somebody, and that was like, I don't know, 30 years ago or something like that. And I just basically taught him what I knew. And then I started saying, Wait a minute, if I work on this, I could. And that's when I started doing more research into it and, and basically what I tell people is like what I try to do is not teach beginners because I don't think I'm qualified for that uh, but what I teach is that guy who like I was I played for 10-15 years didn't know what I was doing didn't know the fingerboard all that well and so I, I get those players that are like kind of stuck in a rut and I go okay let's open up that fingerboard let's figure out why you play this chord let's figure out why you play this scale why you play these notes so that and I try to teach them that that aspect of it and then I try to you know. Break down different styles of blues playing and country playing and things like that. So. Well,
1: um, I'm going to wrap this up, but let me finish by asking you because you said you were a student of the guitar and you talk about the passion. What's the greatest thing you've learned from the guitar? That I could do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and know, I'm good at it, I think. So, I, I I've never met you before. I've seen you on stage and. and you were kind enough to agree to send me oh, yeah, at the last minute so thank you so much for doing well, thank this thank you really so much for having it. me thank you all right